0: Hey, Colin. <laughs> you know for me you're in the future like uh, like a man on the moon or in a tin pan welcome to the eat radio podcast and here's your host
1: Colin pope from eat magazine
0: welcome back and i'm here in hobart tasmania australia and I'm outside the information centre and I'm about to walk around the corner into the Mawson's Hutts. Replica Museum and this is a replica of the historic huts that were built in Cape Denison in Antarctica, constructed in 1911 by the men of the Australian Antarctic Expedition and that was led by Dr Douglas Mawson. And we are taking this journey today through the Replica Museum and we're joined by Rod Lidingham who's been to Antarctica over 30 times on many voyages, and his first trip was back in 1966. But he also spent a year in a hut there in 1968 after being trapped after an aeroplane crash. And so this is a fascinating story of violent winds, storms, husky dogs, life and death in some of the most extreme conditions. And with that, please join me for this very chilling story. All right, so thank, thank you very much, Rod. So, And uh, we're here, we're at the Mawson's Hut replica, or replica of Mawson's Hut, is yeah, that right? Yeah, replica museum. Right, okay,
2: brilliant. It's a copy of the, of the hut. One of the bases, right. uh, which was built at Conic, uh, Commonwealth Bay, and the one that occupy, was occupied by
0: Mawson, R- and his party. Right. And what can you tell me about Mawson, and where was he from?
2: Um, he was from South Australia. Yep. Uh, oh, no, he was he was educated in Sydney uh, 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 originally by Edgeworth David. He went down south with Shackleton. Right. Um, uh, he was a geologist by trade, and... Uh, he, but he, on, on that, and then Shackleton trip, he was, uh, looked after the magnetics as well. He went down to, uh, McMurdo, uh, to Scotland, to, uh, uh, Ross Island. And, right. Uh, and he, he was at Cape uh, Royds, which is the, the Shackleton space, and then he went down, uh, he, he climbed, he was a, one of the first people to climb Mount Erebus, which is just beside that, it's part of Ross Island, uh, 13,000 foot volcano and um, the most active one in the antarctic and um, then he went to the south magnetic pole he did a long trek in there with uh, um, Alison kai and uh, with uh, edgeworth david who was his one of his teachers from from sydney and uh, so he got almost to the south magnetic pole it's very hard to define precisely where it is uh, and then he came back and decided he would um, uh, run another expedition. He was invited south by Scott uh, and, and he said, yeah, it's okay, I'll come, but I, need, I want to go to Cape Adair area, which is in the north, the western side of, uh, of the Ross Sea, because uh, it's rock uh, exposure and big mountains and so on. Um, and uh, Scott said, oh no, we're not going there. Uh, so he said, well I'm not coming then. I'll run my own one to look at the Antarctic south of Australia Uh, and in fact uh, Scott uh, pulled a Swifty there and actually sent uh, Priestley and various others to precisely the place where uh, Mawson wanted to go and um, anyway Mawson then uh, opted to look along the coast of South Australia and that was virtually unknown, there was only two areas known one was at uh, near uh, Commonwealth Bay where he ended up there There was an area uh, which is now the French sector which was discovered by um, Dumont de Ville who came into Hobart here when uh, Franklin was the governor and then went uh, after recovering he had some very sick people on board his ship, the Astrolabe he went off south and uh, they discovered the coast of Antarctica, south of
0: Australia, so they they claimed that for France. Um, and and yeah. what time was that in history?
2: This is 1840, by the time they went south. So they landed on this a rock and had a bottle of Burgundy and um, and declared it for French territory. And then uh, the only other place that was known was away along the coast to the west, uh, ex- almost exactly where Frank Wild and his party, the other half of Mawson's expedition in the Antarctic uh ended up they ended up on the Shackleton Ice Shelf and just west of there is a little lump of uh, rock volcano a little black volcano uh, defunct uh, and that was known as well and um, that had been found by the Germans they, they'd they come in there with a ship called the Gauss and um, got frozen in for the winters about 40 miles offshore and had made their way ashore and to, to this pinnacle of rock and that was the only known thing known as Gaussberg after the ship and um, these two points were they pretty well the only parts of the coast
0: known south of Australia and uh, and did they open a bottle of Gewirtz Stramina and oh, okay. and okay. decide okay. that that was Certainly. that belonged to Germany or no? Yeah, not yeah, quite. Probably, yeah. These are the like Jägermeister or something. Right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> no, and, no idea. <laughs> and look, just talking about the magnetics because just I'm just looking behind you. Here we are. We're at the entrance of the museum, and and we can see. Uh, I, is that part of the magnetics you no, were talking no, about? No, radio. that it's is a, that's a radio, it's right? A Telefunken radio. Right. The guys from the Australian Antarctic
2: Division <laughs> make scenarios when. To a Telefunken in in uh, Germany and got a copy of it and there's the original being used at Commonwealth Bay. So they bought three of them. Uh, they got three. I not I can't remember whether they bought them. Um, they uh, put one on Macquarie Island, and that worked well. They took one down south, and that's uh, han, han, um, oh, well, name will come to company um, operating it down on the at, at the hut. But what happened there was the wind was so violent that every time they put the masts up, it blew down, and uh, so they didn't. Uh, even though they arrived in January, uh, started putting up the radio gear straight away as soon as they got the hut cobbled together. It, they never got a message out until September the 25th, uh, so it was a long time. Every right. time they got the mast up, crash! Another gale, and back down they go again. So they. <laughs> And even then, the one the one message they did get out um, was heard at the quarry and passed on uh, to say that they were okay. But they ended up um, they didn't get a reply. They didn't hear a reply, and so for mostly, basically, radio wasn't used until the end of the year when the ship's company came and put the mast up properly, and uh, and they did use it in the second year quite so regularly.
0: So. Thanks, and we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Bill- Will Aronson from the Lost Art of How to Find Things.
1: Would you like to boost your self-confidence, clarity, and communication skills? The fastest way to do that is to double your memory. Learn how to build new neural networks and upgrade your brain's infrastructure and software. Memory coach and entrepreneur Bill Aronson will show you why it's vital to make this investment in your cognitive ability and will start you on the journey of how by helping you find your precious possessions. He'll explain why improving memory is not about recalling your past. It's to assist you to create your future. Losing and forgetting things is not necessary and it doesn't support you to live an extraordinary life. So if you're one of those people who spend time looking for things that you've misplaced, Bill Aronson's book, The Lost Art of How to Find Things, Freedom from Forgetting, is a must-have for you. It's available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. That's Bill Aronson's book, The Lost Art of How to Find Things, Freedom from Forgetting. Get your copy now.
0: Welcome back, and let's pick up where we've left off. Wow, that's fantastic. So they started they started this telephone call or this message in January. They didn't get it out till September. It sounds like some of my podcasts, actually. We start a call in January, and then by the time we get to September, I actually get to speak to the person. Well, look, let's, let's head inside, inside the museum. We're just coming through this door here, and then uh, we're seeing here we've got the husky dogs. Is that right?
2: Yeah, these are a couple of dogs. Um, they're from Mawson State. Um, uh, um, uh Moby and Wealth, they were, they were, I think, put down in the 80s, uh, and uh, their bodies kept and uh, they were sent up to, either, to um, um,
0: uh, Launceston where they
2: were uh, taxidermied, um, so uh, there were a couple of huskies were so very good, and uh, I was in a daily penguin and a, an emperor penguin chick uh, sitting there too and the pictures here are of them leaving Hobart um, just outside where we are here Queen's Pier was outside and as you can see, it was a mass, massive crowd uh, to see them off, because Shackleton was had been down south. Uh, Scott had already been once and was off again, and uh, Amundsen was uh, gone as well. And so it's all big news. Uh, you know, Antarctic exploration was the flavour of the of the time, and so the huge crowd all oh, with their bustles and their boater hats and everything
0: else. You can see from on this photograph. Here. Wow, looks fantastic. And so we've actually got some video footage. Now, uh, what, what year was that video footage taken, roughly, do you think?
2: Well, uh, when they left, 1911. Right. And that was, uh, well, I guess the, some of it was taken by Hurley, who was uh, uh, the, the photographer on the expedition, but there were others as well who had taken some. I think they were well, a lot of them were armed c- with cameras, but Hurley was the main man as far as photography was concerned. Yeah, so this is them heading south. And all of these films, as you see around the, the place, almost all of them, anyway, I, I think, were Early's films. Early was became very famous because he ended up going with Shackleton immediately afterwards. Uh, was involved when they uh, sank the, the uh, Endurance in the Ross in the in the Weddell Sea, uh, and ended up upside down underneath the boats on uh, Elephant Island while Shackleton sailed across to South Georgia and, and so on. And his record of the uh, endurance is what uh, Kept that alive uh, More or less it's, uh, it's, uh, They managed to save 140 plates And carry them across the f- sea ice For months on end And all the film as well And in favour to the film as well so anyway that, that was uh, so Haley was very famous afterwards and for his work in World War
0: uh, one as well after he got back he became a, a military photographer there right so that's fantastic so so the boat just so the boat uh, got uh, shipwrecked it turned upside down and and then oh,
2: this is the endurance yeah that was uh, there was uh, uh, in Shackleton's expedition after this one uh, here now, just as soon as they got back uh, he went off to uh, join Shackleton,
0: right. And so, so these by the ice. these films that we're that we're looking at, in actual fact, these are some of the films that were carried those uh, hundreds no, of miles no, across no, no, the ice. No, not
2: these is, ones. No, Shackleton's expedition was entirely separate from this one. Yeah. Okay. All That's
0: right. Later, all right. Brilliant. Well, look, let's continue uh, down here onto uh, the next part. And what what are we going to be looking at next?
2: Well, well here we've got uh, a map of Australia imposed upon uh, one of Antarctica, and so you the idea of the size. So all of Australia fits well within the uh, outline of the Ant- Antarctic as you can see. Australia is about uh, uh, th- one third less than the size of the Antarctic so um, I think Antarctica is uh, uh, something like 7 uh, million square kilometres and uh, 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 Antarctica is around uh, 14 million and if you add the ice on I think it's up to something like 20 million there, which, this year, there's a lot of ice. Uh, so it's um, about a third of the whole expanse of Antarctica um, with its ice around the edge. And down. you can see that the distance, but he also put a second base in after adding one his first base, which is where Mawson's hut was. He then put a second party ashore uh,
0: around about uh, 2,000 kilometers to the west. Uh, of that. And so when they left uh, that first exit, well there was an ex. they first left in, they were discovering really Antarctica in the 1840s, is that right?
2: That, yeah, that was um, Dumont de Ville, he, he, he was sailing along the coast down here and uh, as was the American explorer Wilkes at the time. Uh, so that was the first, uh, they they were Trying to map the, the, the coast. The first sighting of Antarctica, uh, the, the, the are pretty definite, are about 1820. Um, so about 20 years before the, this, um, this part of it was sighted and, and Dumont de Ville went in. So only 20 years before, mainly by the whalers and sealers and, and the Russian explorer Bellingshausen also saw Alexander Island here, so. There's a dispute as to who saw what, when, but it's all around 1820. There were at least three sightings by Nathaniel Palmer, uh, William Smith, and uh,
0: uh, also by the Bellinghausen uh, the R- R- Russian explorer. And did a lot of them leave from Hobart, or did they leave from mm, Sydney no. or Melbourne?
2: Um, I think Weddell did, but I, I can't remember. Um I don't think any of the others did. The ones that, there was, the main interest was sealing, of course. They found seals on these islands and uh, then there was a huge sealing rush. Um, they bought, they killed all the seals off there. They found places like Macquarie. Um, as well, they'd already found eighteen. I think it's eighteen ten. They found Macquarie, and they'd taken eighty thousand seals off there uh, very shortly after. And, uh, and as they they explored further and further south,
0: mainly looking for plunder. Right and so, so and uh, and when Mawson built the hut yeah. uh, what what trip was that and how long did it take that was the trip that we're looking at here when they're yeah. leaving mm-hmm. 18, Hobart in 18, 19 1911, 1911. 1911. Yeah, yeah and how long would it have taken to get to Antarctica from Hobart in 1911
2: I think about I think it took about three.
0: Two to three weeks,
2: because they went to, they went to Macquarie. They were there about a week, and another vessel, uh, Taroa, came up to them and, and refueled them, and also took, brought half the party as far as as Macquarie Island, which is on this map down here. It's about 850 nautical miles southeast of here. Uh, they put a base in there with a radio uh and they were there about a week uh setting that up and you can see that on the tele on the on the screens there the film of uh of, t- of uh, them landing and and putting up the uh, masts and so on and then they sailed off down here found a little bit of rock built the hut uh to on, on the Antarctic, at the, the commonwealth bay it was the first piece of rock decent sized bit of rock they could, found and uh so they uh added two bases together this hut the side and that one uh the main hut uh became uh, a home for 18 people it was going to be 12 but they added the people from this hut uh to it and um that was going to be in a separate place, but they just couldn't find anywhere. That coast is uh, all the way south of Australia. Is virtually... Um Ice cliff and glacier. Uh, there's virtually nowhere to land uh, the whole way along that coast. We have a base at Casey, but that's well hidden in amongst in the uh, behind ice. And all the time I've been involved in the Antarctic along uh, in, from Australia here, uh, we've virtually never we've ignored this coast entirely uh, between Commonwealth Bay and Casey. Because it's um, just an ice cliff, basically. There's a couple of little islands uh, which uh, had met stations years ago, but uh, they've been ignored totally ever since.
0: Thanks, and we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, AntStand.
1: Introducing AntStand, the most portable laptop stand in the world. So portable, in fact, you'll forget you're carrying it. Turn your laptop into a monitor with Ant Stand. The Ant Stand will hold an 11 inch MacBook Air all the way up to a 17 inch MacBook Pro for maximum versatility. The unique design allows the maximum airflow to keep your laptop cool while raising the screen to eliminate neck and shoulder pain. Available in bamboo and aluminum. Visit antstand.com to get yours today. That's A N T S T A N D.
0: Welcome back and let's pick up where we've left off. And so it must have been something of a nightmare, really, for some of the people landing here and traveling along here, thinking there's nowhere we can land, there's nowhere we can get off, we're not sure how long this is going to go for. That's right. And you've seen it with your own eyes, and so you must have been able to understand that feeling then to get there.
2: Yeah, well, in a ship with a small engine uh, and sails in those days, it was a Dundee whaler called the Aurora, um, it, uh, you know, it's very hard to uh, work your way through pack ice uh, to get to the coast, and this is almost all covered in, uh, shielded by a, a mass of pack ice, which drifts along the coast. Ice with, uh, with bergs in it as well, of course, that's a hazard to a ship if you get stuck in the pack, and an iceberg happens to be cruising by, and they cruise differently to the pack, because they've got a big draft, and they carried by the currents, and uh, they can easily crush your ship, Run into you. So it's a very, very dangerous uh, environment, um, and uh, Davis was well aware of this. And, uh, and uh, he he had to. He ended up sailing all the way round to the Shackleton Ice Shelf uh, before he dropped off the second party. And uh, that wasn't a good place to park them because they it was a, 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 a an ice shelf which is, means it 's floating ice uh, glacier ice, and can break off at any moment and float out to sea. Uh, they did in fact uh, choose a spot right well in coast to the coast, so that it' was very unlikely to happen but um at least the uh, they, uh, you know, they, they were pretty secure and the guy in charge who was uh, Frank Wilde, was the most experienced of all and therefore uh, he said yes yeah, okay, no, we'll leave us here we'll be right and which uh, Davis did but uh, it was always at the back of his mind that they were in a very dangerous spot really so they were left there the ship was running out of fuel and had only just enough to get back to Hobart and so uh, they had no option but to go
0: and uh, leave them there. And uh, just, uh, I've I've never noticed this on the map before, so I'm I'm declaring my ignorance. But I can see here that, in actual fact, this part of the Antarctic Peninsula is very close to the bottom of Argentina. And so, were there ever uh, many exhibitions or uh, many uh, voyages from there to here? Yeah, well, well, as
2: I was saying, you know, this is the area that was explored first all the way around the coast here. Um, Because, you know, they went for a for looking for sea. Uh, there was a, you know, the Falkland Islands were known. Uh, then Cook found the South Georgia, uh, and then there was a South Sandwich Islands and South Orkneys and South Shetlands. And as they, you know, they worked from one to the next, they, they got closer and closer. But that was back in the early 1800s. Nowadays, it's the big uh, tourist business. Here. There's a place called Ushuaia. It's in the Beagle Channel, and South End of on Tierra del Fuego, and uh, to go across from there. Uh, to the Antarctic takes about a day and three quarters uh, so you leave at six in the evening one day and then by the six in the, the, uh, the next night you're halfway and and late in the afternoon on the second day you're in the Antarctic so you, you land in the South Shetlands and then you usually spend uh, six days, maybe landing two or three times a day, and then head back up and cross back two days back. So it's 10-day 10, 10 trips, and um, 20,000, 25,000 people do that every year nowadays. So right, it's, that's very fan- really easy, fantastic. And how many times have you been to the Antarctic? Uh, I'm not, not too sure. This is my thirty something season this year, thirty-sixth season or something like that. But I you know, some of those I've done three or four times in, in a year. Wow, that's fantastic. But I've just done you know, short tourist voyages. I've been doing tourist voyages for 20, 24 years now
0: as well as I did a lot of uh, government uh, voyages as well before that. And what what was your role in the government voyages when you were doing those in the early days? And how long ago would that have been now?
2: Uh, well, I started in the 60s as, a, as a, a weatherman. In 1966, I went down to the Antarctic Peninsula uh, and spent a year on the island, Adelaide Island, uh, as a weather observer, and the second year on Alexander Island, which is uh, 300 miles further south. And, um uh, again, we were doing weather, we were stuck in in a, in a hut there um, by an aircraft crash, and so we spent uh, the whole of 1968 uh, in the hut, uh, it was a, about 20 foot by 14, so it was a small hut, and uh, uh, it was uh, five of us, five of us there, a pilot and a geologist, uh, another met man and uh, an aircraft mechanic. Um uh, would um, we just had to wait till they bought a new plane, uh, which arrived 11
0: months afterwards <laughs> and brought us out <laughs> right. after various adventures. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so uh, I, I imagine that the relationships uh, would have been, uh, you're spending a lot of time together with people. Mm. You're not doing a lot of activity. Uh, or, um, and so the relationships yeah. are intense or are they quite the opposite? Or how did, uh, how did how did that work?
2: Yeah, I think on any of these bases uh, you, you know, there's bound to be tensions. Uh, there was a certain amount of tension. Now We were lucky in that the weather was great and we were able to get out most months uh, we, and we had a dog team uh, so we were able to travel uh, in twos or threes uh, it was always, you know, you never travel alone, you you always see a minimum of two, so with five of us, you know, it was either two or three and um, so we got plenty of breaks. It wasn't that bad, you know, we, were, we got on all right, uh, considering. Mawson had the same problems. Uh, he had, uh, uh, he was uh, not, uh, he, he hated people not doing, he was very, very serious about work. And so he spent his time wandering around, poking people. If he saw them reading a book or, or not actually working, then he would prod them and say, you know, don't you have something to do if, if you don't, then all give you something sort of thing, which got on their nerves and uh, they were told there was a v- revolt at one point in the, in the proceedings and um, they were given a day off as had been promised, I think, at one point. Uh, so there were niggles, of course, in amongst the amongst, amongst the people on on oh, any base. I think. I mean, it doesn't uh, usually come to murder. <laughs> it has. It has. Uh, so I'm assured by my friend and Scott Poller that there have been a few murders in the Antarctic. I think the last count was four or something, but none of them near anywhere near us. So.
0: <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how I'd go actually in that circumstance. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, I, can't, I quite like to have a bit of my own space, so I think I'd be struggling. Great. So I hope you enjoyed that. That was part one of a three-part story, and it was fascinating uh, for me to see that early uh, video footage from 1911. And, and, of course, the museum is brilliantly laid out. And, and the story... I guess, in a way, almost of, you know, the decimation of those sealing grounds in early days. Uh, Of course, you know, I've been here (laughs) in Hobart for a while, uh, a few days now, and I've been moving around. I haven't seen a seal yet, and so, you know, it was a bit strange to get those chilling stories, 80,000 seals being harvested. And, of course, that was part of the explorer's history. Uh, working those very extreme conditions. And uh, really, of course, there was no help and they were so far away. And and you can imagine what it was like in the 1800s. I guess we're getting a really uh a good insight into that uh, scenario of what it was like to live down there. Certainly as we go into part two and part three, we really get a deeper sense of what life was like at Mawson's Hut uh, through this brilliant story that's given to us by Rod out here of um, the Mawson's Hut replica museum. It's attracted over 100,000 visitors in the last couple of years uh, from all over Australia and all over the world and so you can get more details at Mawson's dash hearts dash replica dot org dot au and of course you can google that and find it'll it come up quite easily but also we'll put the full links to that through at uh, eatmag.com that's e-a-t-t-m-a-g dot com and i look forward to you joining us for part two of this very chilling story Cheers! If you're a listener in the US, you can simply text the word Eat Mag, which is E A T T M A G. And if you want that in Echo, uh, Art, Technology, Travel, M for Maggie, A for Apple, G for Grapple, uh, it's Eat Mag, and you can text that if you're in the US now to one four eight zero four one eight one four. If you're in Australia, you simply text the word EATMAG to six one four two eight four seven nine seven hundred. 479 If you're in the United Kingdom, in the UK, Scotland, England, Wales, you can text Ireland as well. You can text EATMAG to 447903567718. And if you're in Canada, you can simply text EATMAG to 1587-800-4323. And you can just replay those numbers. I know it sounds like there's a lot of numbers in there, but wherever you are, you can just text eat mag from those four countries if you're in there and we'll um, send you some instructions and you can basically subscribe to our updates that way so really pleased to finally get that off the ground and uh, thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you next time